I wonder what, uh, what hope would the Lord give? What hope would the Lord give to the woman who is regretting an attempted gender transition? Looking back now at all that she has irrevocably lost and can never get back. What might you say to someone who came? What might I say? What hope might the Lord give? You've probably read some of those stories, and so have I a number. What hope might the Lord give to the man who is trapped in looking at porn? He has wanted to escape and he has tried, but he finds it defeats him time and again to the point where he's ashamed even to ask anyone for help. What hope might the Lord give? What hope might the Lord give to the person who, who always grew up thinking religion is just for the soft-headed or the weak-willed? Or religious people, they're just a bunch of frauds. I mean, every week is a new headline of how someone who's supposed to be so spiritual has done something I would never do myself. But now they find themselves in a place because of their desperation and brokenness where the Lord has their attention. And they're, they're wondering just maybe, is God for real? And they're wondering, is it even possible? Would Jesus really forgive me of my great sin and rebellion after all of these many years of what I've said of him and his name and his reputation, what hope might the Lord give? What hope might the Lord give to the Christian who is surprised to find in a little shock that maybe he or she is further from the Lord than she ever quite imagined? Maybe it was through some temptation that came something she thought she'd never do, and now she has. <laughs> She's realized, how did I get here? Longing to be found again in a deeper fellowship with the Lord, desiring to see spiritual power again at work in his or her life. What hope might the Lord give? I've walked through seasons of my life in struggle against sin, and I'm sure you have as well. Where first is the temptation and then the giving in and the sin and then comes the shame and the repentance by the grace of God, which is a gift. But then it happens again and then it happens again. And so eventually you find yourself in a place where you go, you know, I just, I just don't have any new words, Lord. I just, I just I can't come up with like some new commitment, some new way to say I'm sorry or some new way to demonstrate that this time it's going to be different. My guess is, if you've walked with the Lord any length of time, you probably have as well. What hope might the Lord give to us? We come to Exodus chapter 12 today. And I think there is hope in this passage to any people finding themselves in exile from the Lord. This is really Israel's first exile. They will have others as a nation. They were only in the land, not so much as a nation, but as a tribe of people under the family of Jacob before spending 400 years in Egypt. But now the Lord is saying, I will yet bring you home. I will yet bring you back. Though you've been slaves, though you've been in bondage, 
Granted, much of that not of their choosing and not of their doing, but some of that because we know in the Joshua generation, the Lord will rebuke them and say, do not go back to the gods you served in Egypt. We know that in this generation, there were Israelites who were there by choice, far from God, exiled from the promised land. And so they need to be brought home. What hope might he give? Well, I think we'll find some today. Outside of the promised land for over 400 years, the nation has been. There are people who have known a life of, subjuga of subjugation. Sorry, it's a long word. But they are about to go free. When they first heard, as recorded back in chapters 4, 5, that Yahweh was showing his concern for them. They bowed and they worshipped. But then, but then before things got better, things got worse. Things got harder before they got fixed. And you know what they did as a result in chapter 5? They cursed their deliverers. And they sought out other saviors, as Brian walked us through that passage, and they lamented their lot. Why are we even here? Does God even care? Those aren't direct quotes, but uh, those are the kinds of things Israel will say on many occasions. And yet, yet God didn't say, well, fine, if you won't believe me for it, then I'm so done with you. He said, no, I'm still working out my plan. And so he displayed his wonders on their behalf, and he brought himself glory. And he allowed all the earth to see the Egyptians and Pharaoh and all his court, the Israelites themselves, and any other nations looking on the glories of God, Yahweh, the only one true God. And now they're being called to obey. As we come to the tenth and final plague, we see a distinction between this and all the other plagues for the nation of Israel in that it is not that they are just passive observers or even passive participants. They actually must be active participants, or they will not like their participation in this plague. So they're called to obey in faith, to leave their bondage and their death, and to follow Yahweh, the deliverer, through death to life. That's the hope. That's the message he gives for each and every one of us today. He calls them now as a people, forsake your bitter exile. Exodus 12, pick up with me, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now, you shall eat it in this manner, 
with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Pause there. That's our first section for this morning. First, we see that the Lord has made atonement. What hope is there for any of us in whatever situation? It is this. It always begins not with us, but with God, with with what he has done. The Lord has made atonement. Because if it begins with me, I'll never get there. I'll never be good enough. But it always begins with him. Many have said that Christianity is the only world religion that doesn't start with what you can do for God, but with what he has already done for you. This was the understanding of even the nation of Israel under the law, under the old covenant. It was the understanding that that Yahweh himself had done something first. So the command here for them is to take, take the Passover lamb. What we find right away is somewhat maybe to our surprise and maybe to theirs that the Israelites are under the same sentence of death that the Egyptians are. Hey, I'm doing a last plague. Okay, got that. I will, I will pass through the land and I will kill every firstborn. Ooh, Lord, wow. Okay. Sure God, I live in Goshen. And everyone upon whose home I do not see the lamb, the blood, Passover on its doorposts, its firstborn will die. They too will need a covering for sin, and so it is for every human being ever conceived, right, is in need of atonement, a covering. Unlike all of the other wonders that God has done, this one will require Israel, of Israel, an act of faith. Well, I'm a good Israelite. I think we're probably okay on this one, honey. That's a good time to listen to your wife. (laughs) Notice that they must know their need. They must believe that there is a provision, as God has said, and they must act in obedience. You can write down those three things because those three things never change. They're the same for every human being, for every family, for every society. Do you and I know our need? Look again here at verse 12. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh, he says. All of our acts are before him, and the good news about that is he is so not surprised no matter where we come from, no matter how badly we've messed it up. And all the gods in the nation will be exposed here, it says. Really, that's what the Lord's been doing for nine plagues, right? God by God, insect by animal, moon by sun by other natural right, uh, phenomenon. He has been showing, I'm Lord over your Nile. It's my Nile. I'm Lord over Pharaoh and all of his signs of his so-called divinity. Ha! I'm God. And then he gets to this one where he says, I have the power to take life itself. Death will take on a new meaning for the Egyptians. 
By the way, if you had to answer outside of this context, this is too easy in this context, what is the one culture that has ever existed, the one civilization ever on the face of the earth that you think is probably most fixated on death? You might say ours at times, sadly, but historically you'd say Egypt, wouldn't you? I mean, they were all about it. There, there's so much they had interest in death and the afterlife as they understood it. But one day we will stand before the Lord God and all gods will be exposed. All of my idols, everything I've looked to for satisfaction or acceptance, everything I've put in the place of God to seek for my consolation or for my identity, everything I've ever been tempted to say, this, if I have, this will bring me peace. This is what leaves me in a happy place. And the Lord says, oh, Frank, I want so much more for you. Oh, my daughter, oh, my son, I have so much more for you. And so he is good to expose our gods. Do you know your need? We need to. Second, do you believe? Do you believe the provision he's given? Look there in the middle of verse 3. For the Israelites on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households. So the Lord designates a grouping there. Within tribes, there are clans, and then within clans, there are families, households. And they're to gather one family if they're large, or in some cases, a couple of households together, according to however many could eat a regular meal of a single lamb. Interesting, by the way, to note that what that would mean is on the night of the Passover, not every Israelite household would have blood on its doorposts, would it? In some cases, there'd just be this one with blood, and a couple people nearby wouldn't have any on their house. But that's okay, because ain't nobody in those homes that night. Notice the communal aspect of this. First, as families, individually, and second, then, sometimes as families, plural, to gather. But they have to believe the provision. We have no record of whether or not there were any Israelites who didn't do this, or whether there were any Egyptians who may have heard this word and did it. You can speculate about that over lunch and look at other scriptures if you desire. But those who did had to believe the provision. In verse 5 here, it's given in more detail. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. By the way, we usually think of the Passover lamb, and rightly so, but technically speaking, it could be a goat too. So the, the word in verse uh, 3 translated lamb is overly specific. We would probably use the word kid. You could take a lamb or a kid, or you could take a baby flocky thing. Whatever is the right word for that, that's the word. We don't have a great word for that, so they just used lamb. But it says it could be from the sheep or the goats. Lamb is the more popular rendering, right, because we know of the one who will be the lamb of God, and there's no question there. Notice that uh, he is to be old enough, mature enough, that probably he's of reproductive age. He's of age to uh, produce wool. This is an animal that's of great value. It's in those first few weeks that you have to take care of it and watch out for it and protect it and grow it up. And now it's, it's at the prime of its life, and it has all of its years of production ahead of it. And the Lord says, take that and give it to me. And that's fitting. Sometimes the Lord will ask us to give us our first and our best and it's not easy. 
But the Lord Jesus, but the Lord Yahweh did the same in himself, right? He gave his first and his best. Yahweh has also provided his very first and his very best, the only son of God. And he has now made atonement. And he has done it, as it says in verse 5, through one who is unblemished, right? 1 Peter 1.19 says, You have been redeemed with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He was the perfect sacrifice that every unblemished sacrifice pointed to. And the nation was waiting for one day, son. We won't go through the herds and pick out a really good one. We won't have to do that anymore. Hebrews 9, 14, how much more than just the animal sacrifices, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience to serve the living God? What is the hope that the Lord gives to us today? No different than the one he gave to the nation of Israel in that day. Take the Passover lamb. Whether you're coming from far away, whether you've wandered and you've egregiously rebelled, whether you've never known this home, take the Passover lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood was spilled to cover your sin, to cleanse, and to make atonement for you. He is utterly sufficient for all rebellion, and he is willing to forgive. Believe today. No matter how far you've run away, if you say, I want to have deeper fellowship with him. I want to know his power in my life spiritually. That's, that's so much better than a, a, a six-pack of abs. That, 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 that's so much better than, you know, hitting my financial goals. That is what I want more than anything else. Believe today. Take the Passover lab. No matter how deep the scars in your own life, no matter how difficult the journey has been, no matter how rebellious your sin. And lastly, the Israelites had to act in obedience. Are you and I ready? Verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And he goes down in 11, you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. Right, we know that what he is showing them and what he will memorialize for them for all generations is after Pharaoh has done his repeated you can go, no, 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 wait, you can't. You can go, no, 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 wait, you can't. You can go, no, 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 you can't. Finally, when it's time to go, it's like, we better go now. And they do. And ironically, Pharaoh will do what? What have we done? Wait, let's go out and get them and bring them back, right? It's interesting, Isaiah 52 speaks of a redemption of the Lord in Isaiah 52, and he tells his people, and in that day, you will go out, but you shall not go out in haste. <laughs> do you understand that now a little better? I do a little better this week after this. They understood in the Exodus generation. They celebrated in every generation the fact that there was a time to go, but it was a skinnier teeth go, not because God was barely strong enough, but because the events were going to be those where, I'm not done. I'm going to show a few more wonders, but when I say move, you move. But man, there will be a day, there will be a day when your salvation will be so full. Here they need to act. They have to not only slay the animal and apply the blood, they have to eat the flesh. 
Christ said, this is my body given for you. Isaiah 55, taste and see that the Lord is good. We have to actually partake of Christ, believe and receive. Otherwise, this atonement does us no good. You could live in Israel and lose your oldest son that night. I wonder if there are any families that went out in deep grief. What fools we were. I don't know, so I won't paint the picture too deeply. But we know when he says that we are to act in obedience. And we do it as our hope, our only hope. You know, we proclaim that hope, in fact. The same hope that the Israelites did every time we take communion. You know that communion was instituted by the Lord Jesus during the feast of Passover, right? He is the Passover lamb. And it was the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 that Paul recounts when he says this, the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What were the Israelites told? This is an eternal ordinance. That's, that's the wording in the Hebrew. The idea is continue to do this for forever until I tell you to stop. Now, do we then do this forever ordinance? Yeah. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Do you guys remember how that sentence ends? Until he comes. Yeah. So we, uh, we did a little Passover here a bit ago. The Lord Jesus says it's just a new covenant, and it's not the blood of any lamb. I am the lamb. And so coming and taking communion truly is, among many other things, an act of obedience, isn't it? It's the proclaiming again that we are faithful to that eternal commandment that you've given, and it is our only hope. We do see our need. We do believe what you have provided, and this is our statement renewing this covenant that we trust in nothing above you, O oh Lord God, help us. Praise God for that glorious opportunity that we get. First, we see the Lord has made atonement. That's the first note of hope. Second, we find that we need, I need, and you need a total break from your bondage, a total break from your bondage. I want you to notice what happens in these 13 verses. It, it, it comes so subtly, but it is sublime. It is profound what just happened in the first three verses, right? Look at verse two. This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, and on it goes. What just happened? Yahweh just changed their calendar. That's what just happened. This is to be the first of months. In Hebrew, it was called Abib. It will later be renamed Nisan. It happens in about the March-April time frame, according to our Gregorian calendar. It is their new year that they were to reckon all things from. It was the benchmark of all time. It was the foundation of their calendar. This event, how important is Passover? Everything in the nation's life is, is to find its identity. In fact, one commentator I read said, I didn't think through this hard, but it's probably true. 
said, all of the feasts point to, point to Passover. Yeah, Pentecost is marked from Passover, and then, uh, anyway, I'll stop there. You know, what about our reckoning of time? You go, you know what, we're not biblical. Like, we, we've done it wrong, right? Well, you can make that argument. But consider, um, how did we start the dating of our calendar? Jesus stepped into time and split it in half, B.C. and A.D., right? Thank you, Lord. Usually the ancients would uh, speak about in the year of the king, right? Often uh, people, uh, uh, older generations, would say in the year of our Lord. That's like a fancy way, you know. Did you say 1792? In the year of our Lord. And that's what it is, right? Here for the Israelites, every year begins with the Lord. It begins with God's grace in salvation. And that's always how it works in the Bible. Before he will give them the Ten Commandments and all of the law on Mount Sinai, chapters 19 and following, what happens? Chapter 12, I already saved you. I redeemed you. You are mine. Now, here's how you live with me. Here is how you walk in this grace that I have given you. And that's exactly how it is for the believer. Notice, though, that what we have is a total break of their lives. You're not even going to count time the same way anymore. You're going to begin at year zero, month zero, day zero, as of now. And it's going to be related to the Passover. That's cool, isn't it? What a break. Notice also the leaven. Uh, in verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. We're going to get a ton more about the leaven in just a moment, but I want to mention it here because the leaven itself, I think, is also a break. Question, how do you start bread? Well, you go to your fridge and you get out a little baggie and it says yeast and whatever. Yeah, that's one way to do it. And, and is that how it's been done for, you know, the last few millennia? Uh, no. Those little baggies of leaven that you find, you know, out in the field of yeast. No, that's not how it works, right? What you do is when you made bread yesterday, before you cooked it, you pinched off some of the dough and you set it aside, right? And so today when you go to make more, you do what? You go and you grab that little piece and you put it in. And you know how the leaven works. The leaven works its way through the whole lump. Anybody uh, here familiar with friendship bread? Yeah? The ladies are like, yeah. The guys are like, what? I've heard of it. Friendship bread, right? That's where um, somebody gives you a little bit of leaven and then there to make some stuff and then there to break off a piece and hand it to somebody else, right? And it's a beautiful thing. Everybody's sharing that together. Guess what happened when the Israelites went out of Egypt? The leaven from Egypt died in Egypt, didn't it? How much leaven did they take? It's possible that Israelite families may have had the same culture of leaven like this household ever since they got married. Well, and actually that went back to my mom, which I think went back to her mom. And I think like, well, ever since the flood, you know, we've had this same culture of leaven. But now it's spent four centuries in Egypt. And guess what? It's going to stay there. They're going to have to go and, you know, root through the fields and find those little packets, aren't they? <laughs> Once they leave, right? Notice what a total break. What a, what a leaving behind and a moving on. 
The leaven does more than that, and don't worry, we'll get to what you already know that it does more of, but there's nothing left over here. And what a picture that is of the life of faith, right? We're told the same thing in the letter to the Colossians. Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. This is the continual exhortation to us as believers. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity, to passion and evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Oh, the wrath of God is coming upon the Egyptians because of their serving of their gods. And Paul, using that parlance, would say, yes, and to the degree to which you serve those same gods, you may fall under some measure of similar wrath. So consider yourself dead to all those things. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. That's just one of many passages in the New Testament that speak of our putting off, and then the rest of it is the putting on of the grace of Christ and the new life in Christ and the spirit-empowered new walk that he gives us that we won't have time to go into today. What I want you to notice here is the total break that the Israelites were called to from their old way of life. You know, I know, I, I'm kind of a jerk, but I've always kind of been a jerk, and I kind of come from a family of jerks, and so that's just the way I am. I'm jerky. And the Lord goes, it's not supposed to work like that because you're a new creation in Christ. And granted, your weaknesses are going to be different from my weaknesses, and so let's give each other grace, right? There are some things that I may struggle with my whole life because of, of who I am and who I was before Christ that for you, it's like, really? Don't you know Jesus? And I'm like, this is killing me, man. I mean, give grace. But, but let us never look upon the Lord and say, well, that's just kind of the way I am. A total break from, from that which was bondage. Take drastic action if necessary to protect yourself from that which is corrupting and to provide for yourself that richness and freedom of life that he wants for a people set free. So there's the change in the calendar, there's the leaven, leave that behind. And then I want you to notice one other thing before we leave this section. I want you to notice the consecration. Again, verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire and then drop down to 10. You shall not leave any of it over until morning. And, and they're to roast the whole thing, like the head and the entrails, and you're like, ooh, okay, I, that's more than I needed to read in the Bible this morning, right? Okay. The Bible will not let us be terribly squeamish, will it? I think there are two pictures here. The first is it's a picture of a whole burnt offering, because there's nothing that's divvied up, set aside, or not burned. And that's just like the whole burnt offering. Now, the difference is when God gives the law to Moses in a few chapters, the whole burnt offering, ironically, will be the exact opposite of this because the whole thing will be burned up in fire before God. And the whole burnt offering is the picture of the worshiper saying, I hold nothing back. You get all of me. The whole burnt offering is a consecration. And I think that same idea is here, although... Um, in this case, they will eat from it. The second thing, though, to notice is that they are, uh, they, they are warned very specifically to not leave anything. Why? Because this is a sacred event. 
and this is a sacred meal, and this becomes a set-apart-to-God, dedicated sacrifice. And what does that mean? That means that those who eat it are now consecrated to the Lord. And as a reminder of that, you're not going to use the meat from this animal for, for a common meal. It's not like, good, because we just, we just uh, took care of a lamb, and then now we're about to go on a journey, so let's pack some of that away in some baggies. All right, that'll be perfect. And tomorrow, we'll have a little MLT, some mutton lettuce and tomato sandwiches, right? This will be great. No. This was a one-time event that they will only have in their memory that they were set apart unto God by this eating, by this coming under the protection of the blood. This is the event that they will forever remember and commemorate. They are set apart by this, by this holy offering. You, too, have been set apart in Christ, set apart by Christ, cleansed by him, and now called for a special purpose, his purpose. Now you live not unto yourself, Paul will say. We live for the Lord. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, we're a new creation in Christ. Brothers and sisters, a total break from your bondage has been accomplished by the Lord. He has forged it in you. And you know what? We are amnesiacs if we live in the life that was delivered to us while we were still under our sin, and only that. We have forgotten our identity of who we are in Christ if we only live in such a way that we want what everybody else in the world wants. We think the way they think. We fight the way they fight. A total break from our bondage, bondage is what he has forged for you now in Christ, what he creates in you afresh for the asking. And friend, if you're here today and you've never known that, it's what he offers you for the taking. Now, looking ahead, it's ironic or it seems a bit out of place, but there are there is a section of a handful of verses where Moses, God through Moses, gives um, a command for something that's not going to happen that night. It's directly connected to the Passover, but it will be command for all of the generations afterwards. It's fitting in a sense that it comes at this place, but some commentators have even said, ah, look, there's proof. The Bible has been compiled. It's been redacted. Somebody took a bunch of random things and they just shoved them all together and they didn't even do a good job. Well, I don't know. Do you think the Israelites maybe had some time to think about what this might mean long term? First of all, God can say anything anytime he wants. But secondly, did they have some time? You go, well, I don't think they did because they're supposed to go out in haste. Ah, but when the command came, were they leaving that night? How do you know the answer is no? Did you catch? Go and take a lamb on the what day? Tenth day of the month, which you shall slaughter on what day? The 14th. So there was some time in there for them to think about this. In fact, you can imagine the family caring for this little lamb, keeping it safe, knowing that this would be the, the tool of their salvation. And however he did it, whenever he did it, it's recorded here that the Lord says, and here is how you're going to keep this forever going forward. So looking ahead, Yahweh at this point institutes a memorial feast that's going to go with Passover. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, verse 14. 
Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. But on the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day till the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall have a holy assembly and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them. That is the first and the seventh days. Except for what must be eaten by every person, that alone may be prepared by you. You also shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generation as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven in your houses, for whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Pause there. The third note of hope in our passage is this. The Lord provides a reminder of forsaking. A reminder of forsaking. So they've already forsaken. They've already broken from their bondage, or they will in just a moment. But he's going to provide a reminder of that forsaking throughout their generations and call them to rehearse it. Continually to rehearse that being set apart. Here it's, it's the removal of the bread of leaven in their household. So Passover happens on day 14 of the month. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins the evening of day 14 and goes all the way for seven days through day 21 of the month of Abib. And the Lord says here, this is a memorial, verse 14. This day will be a memorial to you. And he says to celebrate it as a feast throughout your generations. So they're to continue in this. Remembrance is powerful, isn't it? Remembrance is needed, isn't it? How important is it? Well, we do it every time we gather and take communion, don't we? Unless you think that that's never been of any benefit to your soul, has it? I hope that not a single person in this room could begin to say yes to that question. How many times it's like, okay, we're going to do communion again. And then you listen, and then you moved, you're moved, and then you pray, and then you bow your head, and you're like, Lord, man, I need, I need this moment with you right here, right now, right, right in the midst of your people. I need this reminder to forsake and to renew this covenant with you right here, right now. Man, it's almost like the Lord knew what he was doing. We'll come back to memorial in a second. Now, along with the, the break that comes through the, the unleavenedness, the bread, we've already talked about that, there's also another reminder that helps the break, and that's the bitter herbs. Um, the, the herbs aren't mentioned in verses 14 through 21, but obviously they're going to be a part of that week, and they're, they're going to be a part of every generation. Let's uh, speak to those for a minute. Verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Why? Because the bitter herbs, we best understand, will be a reminder of the bitterness of their labor and the bitterness of their bondage. I thought this was supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be a feast, like we should have some really good food. No, I want you to eat something that's going to make you gag, the Lord says. At least make you like be dry in your mouth and go, you know, can you, can you pass me... Something to drink, because that's the point. That's the point 
of the remembrance. Exodus 1.14, you can write it down or you can flip back, I'll read it to you. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. That's what they are to forever remember. What they were meant to do is to eat those bitter herbs and to think, why would we ever want to go back there? You go, well, that seems to be a weird thing to remind them of because why would they ever want to go back there? Question, did Israel ever say, why can't we go back there? <laughs> you know it. Oh, I wish we had the leeks and the onions we had when we sat at the table in Egypt. When you were slaves? Oh, I wish we could have all that we had there instead of this manna that provides for us every single day everything that we need. Some variety. Michael Morales says it this way, the bitter herbs recalling the bitterness of life in Egypt complement the urgency of their departure. Why should Israel linger within such a bitter house of bondage? And that's the question for us. It was the question for every Israelite. Why linger in bondage? We need the reminder that, that in our sin, which looks tempting, which looks attractive, which looks like it will meet my needs, which is somewhat exciting, otherwise I wouldn't want it. The Lord says, do you remember how bitter it is? Do you have any idea what it was like to be under that and enslaved to that? Do you remember? In the words the Lord is saying, make haste to get out, even with the bitter herbs, and they would remember it by every generation. Here they are consecrated to God by the eating of this sacrifice, the cutting off, and then now is the continual reminder of forsaking. Lord, I gave myself completely to you, but somewhere along the way I forgot that I'm completely yours. So you help me remember not to serve these other idols? Every time we forsake sin and we run back to the cross, we Renew our consecration. The Lord provides a reminder of forsaking. And then next, we also see in this section a continual cleansing. A continual cleansing of your influences. A continual cleansing of your influences. Ah, now we get to the leaven. Verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. Whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Do you see how serious it is for them to remove leaven? It's not in scripture, but the rabbis created an entire ceremony, which I read, and now I can't quote the name for you. Sorry, some of you may know it. But there was an entire ceremony that was the search for the leaven ceremony, that they would literally go through their cupboards and their shelves and every corner of the house everywhere, and they would sweep everything out completely. Ever heard of the idea of spring cleaning? Curious where that came from. I don't know if it came from here. I really mean that. I'm curious if there's any connection. They were to make a thorough search of leaven because the smallest amount of leaven will influence the entire lump of dough, right? And they were to cast away anything that was a corrupting influence. How does leaven work, right? It decomposes, it breaks down. It's a corrupting influence. Verse 16. On the first day, you shall have a holy assembly, another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person. That alone may, prepared by, may be prepared by you. 
What are they going to do? At the beginning, at the end, they're going to set aside an extra Sabbath day. And no work is to be done except for the preparation of the meal. That's it. That's all the work that can be done. Why? Because they're going to pause and they're going to focus. And they're going to consider what influences, Lord, are there in my life? Are there things that I need to rid myself of? Not just physical leaven, but are there things in my life, as the Lord Jesus says, if this causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it away from you. Because it would be better to enter into eternity handless than it would be to go to hell with both hands. Marked by these two public ceremonies, this time of rest, and it's a continual cleansing of their influence to pause and think through every year. You're like, that's awesome. Why don't we do that? I don't know. Do you do that? It's a great thing to consider. And notice they'll take a full week of focus, 18. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread till the first day, to the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your mouth, in your house. Here they are choosing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, purify me. Look, look through every corner and every crevice. Check out my motives. And you know what? They're going to be found wanting. Don't be surprised. <laughs> but you're there in that place of hope because he is there to expose them for the sake of cleansing. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you feel like a total wretch, if you do nothing else, stand, raise your hands, and thank the Lord God that the Spirit is alive and working in your life. Lord, thank you. I have a new relationship now with my sin. It's called hatred. I hate the fact that I do it, right? A continual cleansing of the influence. And so he provides for us a way to renew that cleansing. Again, we could look at communion every week. We could look at the gathering uh, together like this, or we just choose to come under the word. He may do it in other places as well. But this this reminder of, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was um, meant to spur the early believers onto the practice of regularly searching their hearts. Proof, 1 Corinthians 5. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. Do you hear the hope in that? Oh, I've got to make myself more holy. I'll never be able to do it. What am I going to do? You're already unleavened. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm already forgiven. Thank you, most gracious God. Now, where are those influences you want to cleanse out of my life? For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Yes, I'm reading from the New Testament. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's talking about a spiritual celebration of the feast in purity and truth through the searching of our hearts, cleansing the influences in our life. What a hopeful thing that the Lord gives, not just to bring us to him, but to continually renew us in him. Now, lastly, we see final preparations for the coming of the death angel, for the coming of that night of Passover. And the nation is given a vision of the long-term culture that, that Yahweh is creating. And he's going to tell the elders to tell the heads of the households, apply the blood to your home. First, he says, mark your home for the Lord. Mark your home for the Lord. Pick up verse 21. And Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, which is in the basin. Hyssop was a, a plant that had a lot of stalks and it was really leafy. 
Uh, again, the rabbis who like made a rule for everything said that uh, you, you were supposed to use a, uh, uh, a branch with three stalks on it. So like they had it down to a science, right? The idea is, is when you put that in the base in the blood, a bunch would cling to it. So it was a really good paintbrush. Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. You shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. What we have here now is a sign on the door of every home. Mark your home for the Lord. Moses tells the elders to tell the people. This is a, a physical symbol of a spiritual reality, just like baptism is, just like communion is, right? There are those who are, who are uh, not Christians who say that the blood had some magical power against you know, the demonic influence or whatever. No, it's a sign. He says that, in fact, in the first section. This will be a sign for you, and then he says it'll be a sign for me. When I see it, I will pass over. This is the sign that in this home is a people set apart. This is a sign to the people of their safety. We have obeyed the Lord, and we follow him. This is the reminder that there was a substitute that Lamb gave his life for us. question, how is your home marked? Do you have a covenant home? You see, this is the long-term vision that even right here in the midst of the Passover week that Yahweh's giving to the people. I'm going to set apart a people for myself. You will be a kingdom of priests. That's one of the keynotes of the book of Leviticus. We'll find it in Exodus here as well. A, a, a people set apart, and part of the vision is homes for Yahweh. Covenant homes. Now, friends, I think this is a really ripe opportunity for a huge load of guilt, as every one of us who are parents or have been will feel the weight of the times we have fallen short. Sure, sure we have. But what a great opportunity today to just pause and ask, Lord, even as I'm cleansing out my own Heart and life, are there things maybe that our home could cleanse? And positively, are there things that might mark our home as a covenant home? How do we apply the blood to our home? Now, there might be some stuff on your walls, you know, that talks about Jesus and has some verses and some other Bible things or not Bible things, but they're things of faith. And that's good. That, that's great. The question is, is that all? Is it just something that I got at Hobby Lobby? Just, you know, those two plaques over there. We're totally about Jesus. Look at the two plaques, right? That's, that's totally us. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you any um, 
uh, interior decorating advice, you are so glad. But the question is, is that all? Well, this leads into the last thing to notice here, and then we'll talk about it. Rehearse your faith as a household. That's the last piece of hope. And, and the last built-in institute for, for this nation of covenant homes that they are to do. Rehearse your faith as a household. Just, just look at the language there in 21. Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families, right? Sometimes our faith is so... Uh, micro, right? It's so individual. It's so personal. But it was never meant to be that. It was meant to be in a family and in families and in community. All of those are throughout this. Here we see families, 21. Look at 24. You shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And then 26, when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes. Notice that the, the heads of households are not told to say, he spared the firstborn, right? Kevin still lives because we did that, right? Not sure, Dad. I mean, if Kevin was gone, I'd have the room to myself. No. He said, the Lord spared our home, right? The Lord has spared us as a family. We were, we were redeemed as a, as a unit. Now, I know that's not how eternal salvation and standing before God, each of us must stand as individuals. But sometimes we are in a hyper-individualistic society here in America. We need to be reminded of how communal salvation can be. And this is one of those places. Look at the rehearsal that he's anticipating to happen. Look, you're going to do this and your kid's going to ask about it. And so you're going to have to tell him. Again, would you be surprised? The rabbis codified an entire series of questions. And in fact, they're pretty cool to practice. We've done them before uh, through Christ in the Passover celebrations over the years at a number of different times. Some of you have done them as families. We've done it on occasions at church. Um, anyway, there's a whole codified list of questions and answers. Um, they're, not, they're not in the Bible, but they're good. That just rehearse the salvation of the Passover and the Exodus um, for the nation, that families would rehearse within their homes. Remembering, as I said, is vital. Listen to the critique that happens even within the Old Testament while the nation is still under this covenant. Psalm 106, you can just jot down. Psalm 106 is a place where the psalmist is lamenting and grieving that, that the people... Uh, didn't remember like they should, that the nation has not, by and large, remembered as it should. Uh, after it records the drowning of the Egyptian army, right, which we haven't got to that yet, uh, the psalmist declares this in verses 12 and 13. They believed his words, they sang his praise, but they soon forgot his works. And that, that led to the murmuring in the wilderness. That, that led to the opposition to Moses' leadership. That led to the worship of the golden calf, right? Verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. They forgot, they forgot, they forgot. What a tragedy. So this, this is the calling. It's a household calling. 
It's, it's meant to be a plan given to every Israelite family of how they regularly recenter their whole family life upon the Lord so that they can be covenant homes. What a beautiful thing. So then how might we do these two things? How might we mark our homes for the Lord and rehearse our faith as a household? Well, uh, if we had time, we should just turn this into a, a give and take and everybody could stand up and share what they've done or, or share maybe what their, their parents have done or the things they've learned from other families. But I'll just canvas a few. Prayer at meals, right? That's a great start. Prayer at meals is a, is a great time. Um, I mean, of course, that, that assumes you actually eat together, uh, right, which is the first challenge in order to pray together. Okay, Lord, help me. Uh, prayer at bedtime, that's another good one. You say, but yeah, we, we don't have any, any more little kids that we tuck in anymore. Crazy thought. Maybe it doesn't have to involve a little kid. Just a thought. Prayer together at any time. That, that marks a home for the Lord, doesn't it? Prayer together for no reason, not just because, okay, you can't eat yet. Kevin, put food down. I don't know who Kevin is, but he's apparently in trouble. Um, <laughs> right, prayer at meals, prayer at bedtime, but how about at, at any time whenever? How about like just really springing this on your kids, right? Hey, let's, let's gather and pray. Why? Because we're the Lord's, and we can, just because we can. That'll really freak your kids out. But they'll remember it, I would think. For every reason and for no reason, whenever there's something to celebrate or there's a concern. How about memorizing scripture together as a family, right? Or, or, or maybe you're in a, a single human household right now. Well, how about just putting up those scriptures, you know, on your mirrors, on your cupboard, in the kitchen, and just saying, hey, whenever I pass one of these, I'm going to recite it. Okay, maybe that's too often, depending upon how much you cruise around your house. But at certain times of the day, I'm going to go, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to recite these verses. I don't know, just a way to mark your home for the Lord and re rehearse your faith as a household. How about family worship? Read the Bible together, pray together, sing together. It doesn't have to be complicated. There are entire books written about family worship, and I've read them, and I've been overwhelmed by them, but I've always been terribly encouraged by them, and I always take away something that reminds me of my responsibility as well as the desire and the joy of just gathering together to read and pray and sing, whatever it looks like. How about rites of passage that you mark by the Lord's presence in thanksgiving? How about laying hands on one another and praying a blessing over your children, maybe doing that at birthdays, maybe doing that as holiday traditions, right, or other special events. Anything in your life that's marked by the word is an opportunity to commission one another, to covenant commit before the Lord, and to celebrate him. Guys, this is what we do when we gather together on Sunday morning, right? We read the word, we sing the word, we pray the word, we preach the word, we hear the word, we do the word. Uh, the do is the communion, I hope you get that, and occasionally a baptism that's doing the word, right? That, that's just all we do. And, and we're not only a covenant community before the Lord as a church, but we're meant to be covenant communities in our homes. It'll never be perfect. And each of you has your own individual challenges, but what an encouragement today to see this was always God's intention for his people. Bonds of family and families in communion with God.
What hope then is there from the Lord, friend? There's the provision of atonement. There is the forging which he accomplishes of a total break from our previous way of life. There is a lifetime of renewed consecration, and all of this comes within the bonds of family and families and community and churches and homes. Take the Passover lamb, remove the bread of leaven, apply the blood to your home. Stand with me. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you that you had a plan for your people. We need community and we need one another. Thank you that we can gather here together in each other's presence this morning and experience fellowship with you, Lord God, and experience fellowship with brothers and sisters. Lord, we, we ask whatever our station in life, our place and position even this morning, I ask, would you draw us more deeply into fellowship with others? And would you help us build into our lives those rites, those rituals, those acts of worship and service that you would use to cleanse us afresh and help us forsake afresh? Lord, we ask if any don't know the redemption of the bloody lamb, the slain lamb, this morning we ask they would come and they would make a clean break and they would know a whole new life that you offer. Lord, we ask do that kind of work continuing in us. We thank you for it and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.